Morning, church family. How's everybody doing? I hope this finds you in the middle of a restful and recharging weekend. Hope you're having a really good time. Um, I just hope it's been a good, good weekend for you. I am recording this on Saturday morning, so it's a little gray out there today, and you're going to hear some background noise. I got a couple of neighbors that are running wood chippers and chainsaws, and, and uh, they're taking advantage of their day off to get some yard work done. And uh, you'll, you might hear a little bit of that in the background on the video. If it gets really loud for whatever reason, I'll stop and, and, and wait and we'll figure that out. But, you know, in the meantime, we'll just have to we'll just have to go with it. We're used to distractions in church sometimes anyway. So uh, let's let's jump right in. The, the main verse I want to look at this morning is out of Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. And you already knew we were going to go there. Um, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I added all those ands in there. Those are not in the actual verse. Um, but, but all of those things are fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, and we are talking about that. We've been talking about that for several weeks now, and uh, we are jumping into our next one this morning. Now, first, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. Next Sunday, seven days from now, uh, we are planning to have church two services, 9 a.m. and 10.30, and you are familiar with that routine. That's what we've been doing since the summer. Um, we, are, we are aiming to do that. We are wanting to be back together and to, to worship together and look into God's Word and have church. However, keep watching Facebook, keep checking social media, listen to your one calls when they come in because we will keep you posted what's going on um you know we just we can't tell what's going on we can't promise for sure we're going to have church we might stay on the porch one more week or several more weeks I, it depends on what the governor might ask us to do what the president might ask us to do what the cdc asks us to do maybe even what we decide to do just based upon what's what's happening around here um you know we pay attention to what other churches and what other pastors are doing and thinking uh, we talk, uh, Pastor Steve and I talk all the time, so we are, well, we don't just make a decision and stick with it. We, we Every day we talk about it to see what's the best thing to do, and we will be continuing to do that, and uh, we'll give you as much warning as we possibly can, but please know, even if we make a change and it's at the last minute, um, we, have, we have prayerfully made that change based on wanting to keep everybody healthy and everybody safe. Um, the other thing I want to tell you goes right along with that. Tuesday morning Bible study is not going to pick up again until December. Now, December is not that far away. Tuesday, December 1st, the first is on a Tuesday. Tuesday, December 1st is the first back together Tuesday morning Bible study. So mark that on your calendars, um, it, partly out of an abundance of caution because folks were sick um, and, and a lot just because of the holidays. Um, you know, Brother Sam and Pastor Steve were talking and praying about it, and they just decided, you know what, let's just push till December. Give us just a, a couple more, couple more weeks off, couple more Tuesdays off. Um, but again, keep an eye on social media, <clears throat> listen to the one calls, and 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 pay attention because we might end up changing it. We just don't know what the future holds, and in a way that is very frustrating, and we feel your frustration with it as far as the church schedule. We feel your frustration as far as your personal lives. But in another way, it's very exciting because we don't know what God's doing, 
but we know how he wants us to act as it unfolds. So it's kind of exciting day to day to see what he's going to do and what kind of opportunities he's going to give us. Um, as much as we as much as we miss having church, there are a lot of opportunities as we we try to connect outside of there. So uh, just uh, just bear with us and, and just stay focused on him because none of this surprises him. None of this frustrates him. He has got this. So let's just stay focused on him, and we are all going to get through this as a family, okay? So let's jump back in. Kindness is the uh, the fruit of the Spirit that we are looking at today. And I want to start by talking about a very simple gesture that anybody my age, maybe a little younger than me, certainly everybody older than me is going to recognize. This black box, this plastic box, this plastic videotape. This is a VHS tape. I hope you can hope you can see it. It's a VHS tape. And back in the 1980s, that was how we watched movies at home. Set it down so it doesn't tip over and make noise. Uh, that's how we watch movies at home. In fact, there was this thing called video stores. You could go into the store and it was shelves lined with videotapes and you could rent them, take them home, watch a movie, and then take it back and, and rent another one. Well, if you rented movies at all, back in the 1990s, back in the 1980s, you saw these stickers all over the place that said, be kind, rewind, stickers and posters. And, and they were reminding you to rewind. One of the drawbacks of this technology, although we didn't always recognize it at the time, was that when the movie was done, you had to rewind it before you could watch it again. You don't have to do that on Netflix. But on those tapes, you had to. And, and what video stores were finding was that people would rent a movie, take it home, watch it, take it out of the machine and give it back to the store. And then the next guy would run it and take it home and he had to rewind it before he could watch it. Which meant since he already rewound it once before he watched it, he might not rewind it again at the end. And they were, they were finding that they had to have ask for this basic, simple courtesy. Hey, rewind the movie when you're done. Doesn't take long, just a couple of minutes. Rewind it, that way the next guy can put it in and press play and enjoy it just like you hopefully did without having to rewind it first. And, you know, that just, I think, goes to our human nature that we sometimes, we don't do the kind thing reflexively. It's not because we're mean. It's not because we're hateful. Nobody's renting a movie and thinking, I'm not rewinding it. Get that next guy. Make him rewind it. Nobody's thinking that. But it was just, we don't naturally think of that. We think of what's easiest for us without thinking about spending those extra few minutes doing something for the next guy. Um, I, I love this this story about kindness I found online. There was this, uh, this, this <coughs> excuse me, this improv group. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to do an experiment with kindness, the social experiment. This was before the pandemic started. And so they went out to the airport in Los Angeles and they were greeting passengers that were incoming, that were arriving in the city. They took signs. If they saw a chauffeur or a taxi driver kind of holding up a sign with somebody's name on it, they would take that name and write that name on their signs. So instead of one taxi driver or chauffeur holding up a sign, there'd be 15 people holding up signs and another 15 or 20 people there cheering and passing out balloons and giving them candy and giving them flowers and saying, hey, welcome to the city. We're glad you're here. They'd bring little stuffed animals if they had kids with them or, or anything like that. And you know, people were usually kind of 
put off by that. If somebody was arriving to the city and nobody was holding the sign for them, then they wouldn't use the sign. They would just welcome to Los Angeles. But they're still giving them candy and teddy bears and, and, and flowers and balloons and all this stuff. And people were usually, they thought that was kind of weird when they got there. I'm just trying to get my bags and get out of the airport and maybe find a taxi and there's 20 people wanting to hug me and shake my hand and welcome me to the city. But as they did this, what they found was they were getting so many stories out of people. People were, were stopping and people were getting teared up and people were spending an hour in the airport talking to these people who had greeted them just about how that was the best part of their day or their week or their month. Some people told them, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Nobody's ever treated me like I'm this important before. And, and some, of these, some of the people in this group forged lifelong friendships with some of these people. They, they friended them on social media. They exchanged phone numbers. They've, they've stayed in touch to encourage each other. And what they found in the middle of some of these tearful stories and these hugs is that there's such a kindness drought in our culture that something as silly as handing a stranger a, a candy bar and a stuffed animal for their, for their kid just really speaks to them. And it's the, the one of the biggest things to happen to them in a week or in a month because there's such a kindness drought. And we don't have a kindness drought at Fresh Start Fellowship. And in a lot of ways, this is, this is preaching to the choir, what I'm talking to you folks about this morning, because this isn't something our church struggles with. When visitors come to our church, they're almost overwhelmed by the number of people that come up and talk to them and speak to them. And, you know, what's your name and, 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 and find out about them. Um, you know, just the, the people in our church family. I talked a couple of videos ago, several weeks ago when I was really sick. I had people piling food. I don't even know how many people brought and put food on my porch. But I had enough food to feed an army. Dropped off by people from our church, some of whom sent me a message, let me know they were doing it. Others just kind of stopped by anonymously and here's some food. And, and it's... How kind was that? How amazing was that? That was just great. We, our church does not have a kindness deficit, but our culture does. And we are called to impact our culture. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, according to the Bible dictionary that I've downloaded on my computer and I use, kindness, this is the definition, okay? Kindness it's the state of being that includes the attributes of loving affection, sympathy, friendliness, patience, pleasantness, gentleness, and goodness. Patience, pleasantness, gentleness, goodness, friendliness, sympathy, affection. These are good things. Those are the kind of things when somebody's moving in next door to you, you hope they have. Those are the kind of, kind of ways you want your boss to act. Those are the ways that you want the people you hire to work for you to act. Those are good things. Kindness is very important. Um, you know, kindness is not just an action in the way people treat each other, but it's a choice because it, it rarely happens by accident. You have to choose to be kind to people, which when we talk about a kindness deficit really makes us, makes us stop and think. It just makes me stop and think, so many people don't experience kindness, and that's because so many other people aren't choosing to be kind. It's not that they're choosing meanness, well, probably some people are, but most aren't. They're just not choosing kindness. 
they're so focused on their life that they're not choosing to be kind to strangers. As people who know how important Jesus is, shouldn't we be doing something different? Now, another uh, another Bible dictionary that I found translates the Hebrew word for kindness, chase said, as compassion and faithfulness to one's obligations as well as to others. Faithfulness to one's obligations, that's what kindness is. If you are a Christ follower, this Bible tells you what some of your obligations are. If you want to be kind, be faithful to what God tells you about how to treat other people. Um, one of the most one of the most amazing stories out of the Old Testament about kindness is the story you, you've heard of David and Jonathan and their amazing friendship. King David, we know we know about him. David and Goliath, we know about David. Well, it's about Mephibosheth. I am not going to try to pronounce that over and over while I while I recount this to you. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. Well, David in 1 Samuel made a covenant with Jonathan that they would look out for each other's families and that they would protect each other's families. Jonathan's father was the king. It was assumed someday Jonathan would be the king and Jonathan and David made this pledge to look out for each other's families. Jonathan died, and his father died in a very bloody battle. David was the one who ascended to the throne. Not somebody out of Saul's family, but David became the king. Now, what was tradition, what was law, what was custom, what was normal in that time, in their culture, was when somebody who wasn't part of the family line became king, they would have all surviving members of the former king's family killed. That way there would be nobody to challenge the throne. That was the custom. When David became the king, it, he, and he asked, he says, hey, find me anybody from King Saul's family. Well, his advisors assumed that he was going to carry on the, the custom and the tradition and have them put to death so that they couldn't challenge the throne. And instead, he, he made it known, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul so I can show kindness to them for Jonathan's sake? He's letting them know he made this covenant to be kind, and he's taking it so seriously. Look, is there anybody left from that family? I promised him I would be kind and look out for him. Find me anybody from that family so that I can be kind and look out for him. So they brought Jonathan's son in, Mephibosheth, and they, they, he showed him great kindness. He brought him in. He gave him King Saul's land and property to live on. That was technically it become David's property, but he gave, said, hey, this used to belong to, to King Saul, and now it's yours. You take it. You've got a place to live. And he gave him a place at the king's table. So he basically said, you get to eat at my table like you are family to me because I made this covenant with your father to look out for you, and, and you were all that. And scripture tells in 2 Samuel, it says, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem and always ate at the king's table. So this wasn't just a gesture he made and then it kind of disappeared and fell by the wayside like, like a New Year's resolution. Always ate at the king's table. He showed him this incredible kindness 
that custom and law and tradition said he didn't deserve, but he said, who cares about what he deserves? This is what I'm doing. I'm going to love him and give him a place at the table. If you know Jesus, you can identify with this story because you don't deserve a place at Christ's table, yet he set you a place anyways. And he didn't just set you a place in case you drop by. He set you a place and said, come on, I want you here and I want you here always. Not one time as a nice, you know, religious gesture. I want you as a part of this always. And see, that's that's kindness. Those one-time gestures, that's awesome. But that ongoing kindness, when that one-time gesture, you're letting people know that's setting a tone for for always from here on out. That's what King David did. That's how Christ did for us. In in Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus, says, how many times do I have to forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Is it as many as seven times? And Jesus replies, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Now, he wasn't he wasn't saying, Peter, get yourself a calculator, 70 times seven. And, and once they get past that number, I believe it's 490. I'm trying to do that in my head. I should have worked that out ahead of time. But, you know, once they get to the 491st time, you don't have to forgive them anymore. Just, you know, 490 times, forgive them. 491, do whatever you want. You don't have to forgive them. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you just keep forgiving them over and 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 over. You just keep going with the forgiveness. And, and then Jesus says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So he, he brought his servants in. This is out of Matthew 18. He brought his servants in and one of them owed back, owed an unpayable amount of money. More money than he would ever be able to pay in his lifetime. Uh, that'd be like somebody calling you in and saying, you owe me $75 million. You can't pay that back no matter how much longer you live. You, you, you can't earn that kind of money. And, and he, he brings him in. He says, you owe, you owe me all this money. If you can't pay it right now, I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children into slavery to try to at least get some of my money back. And the servant falls down on his knees and, and he begs for more time. He says, look, I, I'll, I will spend the rest of my life paying you back everything that I can. Please don't destroy me. Please don't destroy my family. Have some compassion. And the king had compassion on him. The king looked at this and, 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 and he had such compassion that he released him and said, you know what? Forget it. You're free to go. And I forgive the debt. Can you imagine? If you owed an unpayable amount of money to somebody and they showed up in your yard and said, it's forgiven. You no longer owe it at all. You don't, you don't have to pay me anything. What a great kindness that is to be forgiven this huge debt that there's no way you can ever repay. He'd have had to work for this guy for free the rest of his life or maybe be sold into slavery. But instead, the guy has compassion on him and says, don't worry about it. So the, the servant who has been forgiven this great debt, he, he went out from the king's presence and he came across a guy who owed him money. So the, the, the story makes it seem like as soon as the king has forgiven him, thanks, king, you're a great guy. This is amazing. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. He goes out the door and he's walking down the street and he sees a guy who owes him a day's wages. 
certainly not an amount of money that they couldn't be repaid. The guy owed him money he could find easily. Just go to work for a day and then give him the money and the debt would be cleared. He sees this guy that owes him money and he starts to choke him. I mean, he doesn't just say, hey, give me the money you owe me. He says, give me the money you owe me while he's choking the guy. He has just been forgiven an unpayable amount and he's choking the guy over a day's wages. And some of the other servants saw this and reported back to the king and the king said, bring that guy back in here. And when the guy comes back in there, the king says, what are you doing? I forgave you all of your debt, a lifetime of debt. And you're choking somebody over a day's wages? You have been forgiven and you can't pass that on? And he says, because of this, he put the guy in jail and had him tortured. Jesus ends this parable and he says, so also my heavenly father will do to you will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. What you have been given, you must pass on. Look, if I come to your house and I give you 100 candy bars, you got candy bars to pass out. If I come to your house and I give you $1,000, you got dollar bills to pass out. If I come to your house and I give you 100 cars, You've got cars to give away to people in need. Hey, do you need a car? Here's a car. It's cool. I still got 99 left. What you have been given a lot of, you have to pass on. You can pass on because you've got a lot of it. You have been forgiven much. You have been given much kindness in the form of forgiveness. Shouldn't you be passing forgiveness and kindness on? In, in Ephesians, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. This is Paul saying that kindness and compassion and forgiveness are all wrapped together. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. As it was done for you, you got to do to other people. You got to pass it on. How can you be more kind in your life? I'm not chastising you. Fresh Start Fellowship, and that's probably most of who's watching this video, we do not have a kindness deficit. We got a lot of it, and we're passing it around all over the place at church. How can we pass it on outside of church? Many of you are. I'm not chastising you. Many of you are. Many of you have worked tirelessly over the last several months at, at, at LAMP. Many of you have given, remember back at the beginning of the pandemic, what felt like years and years ago, we had a box at church where we were gathering pasta and pasta sauce. Y'all would fill that box up a couple times a week. Sometimes I'd go and pick it up to put it in my car. I couldn't lift it. It was so filled with spaghetti sauce. I had to make like eight trips from the box to my car. You guys are overflowing with kindness and you're passing it along. But how can we pass along more of it? Because we have been given an amount that's never going to run out. What more can we do? You know, Paul kept talking about how important it was because what God had done to us in, in Titus, writing to his, his partner in ministry, he says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us 
When kindness showed up from God, it brought us salvation. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. When kindness showed up, it, it brought me salvation, not because I had a cool beard, not because I married well, not because I was nice and, and gave money to the food pantry, not because of any good thing or good deed or good thought that I had. That didn't count. Save me because he had mercy. In spite of my many sins, he saved me. He gave us kindness because of his merciful heart, not because we deserved kindness. So as we look about being kind out in that community, it's so easy to be kind at church because we love each other. We love each other so much that when we release you guys to have a, a time of, of kind of welcome and, and, and a moment of fellowship in the service, the pastor and I have sometimes joked that we could just sit down and just let the clock run out on the service and most of you wouldn't know it. You'd just be so busy loving at each other and talking to each other and fellowshipping with each other that you wouldn't even notice we never finished the service. We have, we have joked that sometimes to get you guys back in your chair after a time like that, you know, we almost need to, to, to come down into the sanctuary with a whip to kind of chase you guys back to your chair. You get so committed to loving on each other. It's easy to love each other because we do love each other. It's easy to love in our families because we love our families. It's easy to offer forgiveness to people we love. How do we offer kindness out there in a culture to people that it's hard to love, to people that it's hard to be kind to. It's easy to maybe walk past a stranger and, hey, how you doing? Have a good day. And he maybe cheers him up a little bit. And that's a good thing. We ought to be doing that. But boy, it's a little harder when a stranger is mean to us to throw some kindness at them. When somebody does something rough to us, it's hard to, 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 to offer them forgiveness and kindness we've been shown the biggest amount of kindness in the universe we have an obligation to pass that along you know just like Jonathan's son we deserve death we deserve eternal separation from God but instead Jesus says hey I had a place at the table for you always you come in and you sit at the table and you're always going to be a part of this table. You know, just like the, the servant who had no mercy, we have been forgiven a great debt. So the expectation is that we will go on and pass out forgiveness. We haven't been forgiven a great debt so that we can walk down the sidewalk and choke people who upset us. Sometimes we do that and we're not supposed to. It's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. Let me share with you a life hack in preparation of this sermon that I've been using for, for several weeks now. And, and it has yielded some results that have just ministered to my heart in, in ways I can't even describe. I have taken to posting on social media, and sometimes I'll just post it just kind of right out without any context or anything. It's just out there for everybody. I will say, I love you. How can I pray for you? And I get the most incredible responses, people from our church family, 
will will list things on that. They'll make a bunch of comments on that post. They'll list things. So many will send me private messages and say, yeah, I didn't want to you know, post this for everybody to see, but, but we kind of got this thing going on in our family. Could you pray for that? I have had people that, that I haven't seen since I was in high school back in, in, in the early 1990s. And, and they will message me and they will say, you know, if, if you're serious about being willing to pray, here's what's been going on in my life for the past five years. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid I'm ruining my marriage. Can you pray for me? I have been able to minister to, to non-believers, minister to believers in such incredible ways because that little bit of kindness has sparked a conversation that allows me to, to speak into people's lives. It allows me to love them even more. That little spark of love gives me an opportunity to love them in a big way. Now, don't say, I love you. How can I pray for you if you're not going to pray for people? Don't say, I love you. How can I pray for you if somebody's going to send you a message about heartbreak and you're just going to say, well, I'm not going to respond to that. that. That sounds like a lot of work. But if you start asking people, I love you, how can I pray for you? What a great kindness. Gives you an opportunity to talk to God, gives you an opportunity to talk to them, to them, gives them an opportunity to see how important prayer and kindness is to you. Because folks, I'm preaching to the choir. This is this is me trying to motivate the team at, at, at halftime. But if we don't start passing out what we have to our culture, our culture is doomed. People are literally dying without Jesus. And we are the ones that can change that. We have got to start ministering to people outside of our comfort zones. We've got to start going to places we wouldn't go to. We've got to start talking to people we wouldn't talk to and and i don't mean you know wade into a crowd of people swinging your bible around hitting them in the head and having these aggressive conversations about their future destination if they don't accept christ but how can we wade into people's lives and say i love you i want to be kind to you how can i help you how can i pray for you how can i minister to you what what can i do to make your life a little bit better. Because the more we do that, the more non-believers, the more believers that have drifted, the more people whose lives are hurting, the more they are going to look at you and they are going to say, I don't understand that religious thing they got, but man, I want what they have. I want what they've got in their life. I want the ability to make other people feel better. I want to feel better. I want to be like them. And if they want to be like you and know Jesus, what a great opportunity to share Jesus with them, to invite them to join you at the table that you don't deserve to go to, but you've been invited to through mercy and that they're invited to through God's mercy as well. Kindness is such a simple thing, but it's such a hard thing. So many people in our culture aren't kind. So many of us, we have to work at doing it when we're with people that, 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 that we don't love, that we don't know, that we're not close to. But it's what God has called us to do. 
And if God has called us to do it, we should be doing it. We must be doing it. And 2020 has been a weird and rough year for all of us. But the weirder and rougher things get, the more opportunities we have to say, I love you. How can I pray for you? So let me wrap up by doing this. I'm going to pray in just a minute. But I love you. How can I pray for you? You send me a private message or or post in the comments of this video and I will be praying for you. And I want you to be praying for each other. My challenge to you is I want you to ask somebody this week, I love you, how can I pray for you? Man, if you're really uncomfortable doing that, ask your wife, ask your husband, ask your kids, ask somebody that you're that you're already comfortable with as practice because my expectation is that you're going to start doing this out in the community with strangers. Hey, I love you. How can I pray for you? People might think you're weird. But you know, Jesus, you're already kind of weird because you're in that, that Jesus-knowing minority. People might think it's kind of a strange thing to say. And you know what? It is kind of a strange thing to say. That's what God wants you to be doing. I love you. How can I pray for you? Lord, I love our church family. I miss being together with our church family. Lord, I pray that this message finds our church family well. Um, Lord, I, I pray for anybody who's watching this who isn't a part of our church family. Lord, if, if they don't know you, I pray that they will ask some questions. When I say I love you, how can I pray for you? Ask me about Jesus. Lord, I pray that the 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 effects of 2020 will, will, as much as they challenge us, will give us opportunities to love and to be kind to the people we know. Lord, I pray for those that are watching this video that are, they're struggling financially. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with their health. I pray for those that are just struggling with family, struggling with their children or with their parents or, or, or with their, their marriage relationship. Lord, I pray that you will put a healing touch into all those situations. Not because we deserve it, but because of your mercy. I pray that you will touch us in healing ways to remind us of how much we have been given and how kind you are. And how much we are burdened by your desire that we be kind to our neighbors, to strangers, to everybody we encounter. Lord, I pray for a great upcoming week. Lord, I pray for all the people in our country that are suffering from the coronavirus. Lord, I just pray for miracles to happen, not so we can return to normal and all be comfortable, but so that people who don't know you can come to know you, so that families that don't know you can begin to rejoice together seeing the miracles that you have done. Lord, I pray right now for the great things in our culture, for the great opportunities we have to share so that we can celebrate as the holidays come up. Lord, I pray for the hard things in our culture, the things that we that we are sad about and that, that we despair about and that we're depressed about together, that we can walk through them together and use those hard opportunities to look at each other and say, I love you, how can I pray for you? Lord, I pray this in your son's most mighty name. Amen.
Church family, I love you. I will be seeing you soon. We miss you a lot. We're getting through this together. I promise you. Talk to you next time.